And now, for the show reflecting on classic radio, Hollywood 360, with your host, Carl Amari. I can see you right now in the kitchen, bending over a hot stove, but I can't see the stove. Who knows what evil lurks in the hearts of men? The shadow knows. <laughs> Would you mind telling me whose brain I did put in? And you won't be angry. I will not be angry. Abby someone. Abby someone. Abby who? Abby normal. What do you do, Carl? Carl is a inventor slash entrepreneur. Yeah, I'm still looking for that home run, you know? I mean, <laughs> when I saw the iPod first time, I was like, yeah, I could have kicked myself. That was so hard on him. What's your name? Carl's my name. Atomic batteries to power. Turbines to speed. Roger. Ready to move out. Hello, everyone. I'm Carl Amari, and this is Hollywood 360, the radio show that presents the best in classic radio. This hour on Hollywood 360, I'll open the creaking door for another horror episode of Inner Sanctum. And then Hal Perry stars as the great Gildersleeve from 1944. With me to help present these classic radio shows is my co-host, Lisa Wolf. Hi, Lisa. Hey, Carl. I, I'm glad to be your helper. Yes, you are. I like to help present the... Uh the mysteries, which is what we yeah. have coming up next. Well, we do have a mystery up next. I yeah, know. you're a mystery. Uh, you know, all girls are a mystery. Yes, Carl. but you, I am the mystery you, of mysteries. You're like, um, for a while they couldn't figure out if uh, Pluto was a was a planet or not, or if it was a star. Yes, I, I think they've uh, they downgraded it to a star. Then they, I think, put it back up to a planet. That's like you. I don't know if you're are you a, downgrading me. I'm down. I downgraded you. I upgraded to a you. What? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> um, but you're 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 a star, actually, Lisa. You know that. But it's a downgrade a, to a star, so mm, I don't know if that counts. But wouldn't you rather be a star than a planet? Um, no. I would. I think I'd rather be a planet. I'd rather be a star. You are a star, Carl. Thanks, Lisa. All right. You're my star. I, I don't mind if you downgrade me. It's okay. But don't downgrade Inner Sanctum Mysteries, because that was one of the best mystery shows of all time. And it featured stories of mystery, terror, and suspense. It was created by Hyman Brown. It premiered on ABC in 1941. A big part of the fright factor was the show's host, Raymond, who opened each episode with campy tongue-in-cheek humor. Raymond delighted in painfully bad puns and poking fun at the audience, who he was sure would soon be suffering from knee-knocking fright. And one auditory trademark of the show was the creaking door that opened and closed each episode. Hyman Brown got the idea from a door in the studio's basement that squeaked like crazy. Brown said to an assistant, I'm going to make that door a star. And he did just that. Inner Sanctum spawned a series of low-budget universal horror movies starring Lon Chaney Jr. and a 1954 syndicated television series. Did you know that? I, I've never seen any of the TV shows. I have not either. But I would like to. Uh, but right now, it's uh, it's an Inner Sanctum radio show going back to August 24th, 1952. This is called No Rest for the Dead. And it stars uh, Everett Sloan. Here's part one of Inner Sanctum Mysteries. Inner Sanctum Mysteries, brought to you transcribed by High Potency Ends, America's most popular, truly effective chlorophyll tablets. Good evening, friends of the creaking door. 
This is your host inviting you into the inner sanctum once again. Come in. You're early tonight. The coroner hasn't arrived yet. But it's all right. The corpse is here. Yes, that's him over there in the corner. The slightly decapitated gentleman sitting with his head in his hands. <laughs> All right, friends, let's gather round and meet that grim reaper, Mr. Macabre. No, 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 don't try to run away. Lie perfectly still. If you race with Mr. Macabre, you're liable to end up in a dead heat. From the living room of a small house that has seen better days, a single light shines in the early evening. Inside, Grace Denning waits alone for her father to come home. Anxiously lighting one cigarette from the other, she paces the floor. Until at last, she hears his footsteps on the porch stairs. Father? Is that you, Father? Yes, dear. Now, are you worried about me? Well, you're never this late for dinner. I thought something might have happened to you. You weren't down at the river again, were you, Father? No, no. Well, where were you? Just downtown. I... Uh... I stopped off for a minute. Grace, why are you staring at me? You look so strange, so frightened. Well, I should be frightened. You know what it's like to live without money week after week, waiting, hoping for a break that never comes. But don't worry, darling. Your luck will change. I'm not worried anymore. You got the loan? Yes. From the bank? No. From Dr. Tarleton. Dr. Tarleton? He wouldn't lend you any money. He wouldn't lift a finger to help you. Why not? He's an old friend of mine, isn't he? Well, I wouldn't call him a friend. Not after the way he's treated you all these years. He still hasn't forgiven you for taking Mother away from him. Don't be a fool. Well, he hasn't. He's still in love with her. He told me so at the funeral. Well, what difference does it make? I've got the money, haven't I? But how did you get it? I told you he lent it to me. Why did he lend you that money? Because I, I gave him something in return. What? I... I sold him my brain. What do you mean, Father? I willed it to him in return for the loan. Your brain? Yes. He said it would be of value to him in his experiments. He said the medical school was making a study of men with artistic talents. But you haven't painted for years. Well, Dr. Tarleton didn't really want my brain, Grace. Can't you see? It It was just an excuse to to torment me. Well, you're not going through with it. I won't let you. You'll have to, Grace. I've gotten the money. Then you'll give it back. I won't let you take it. Here, here. What are you doing? Holding him up to return that money. Put that phone down. Father, let go. Drive you out of your mind if you accept this loan. Let me speak to him. Dr. Tarleton's office. Miss Henry speaking. Hello. Oh, Miss Henry. Is, is Dr. Tarleton there? Why... Who's calling, please? This is Miss Denning, George Denning's daughter. Would you ask the doctor to come to the phone, please? I'm afraid I can't, Miss Denning. Dr. Tarleton is dead. Miss Henry, I I hope you don't mind my coming over here, I, asking you all these questions, but you see, Dr. Tarleton was an old friend of the family's, and... I, I'm rather anxious to know the circumstances. I understand, that... Miss Denning. Dr. Tarleton often spoke of you and your mother. 
When did he die, Miss Henry? This afternoon, about five o'clock. We can't be sure of the exact time. Nobody was with him when he died. Nobody? As far as we know. I was out of the office on an errand when it happened, and when I got back, he was dead. Well, what happened to him? I mean, it was all so sudden. Did he have a heart attack or something? Well, he was subject to dizzy spells, Miss Denning. He probably had one this afternoon. Oh, I see. But I'm not sure that's what caused the accident. Accident? Yes, he fell against the instrument cabinet in his office and broke the glass. The edge of it cut an artery in his neck, and he died before anyone could reach him. How awful. Well, what makes you think it wasn't an accident? I don't know. I just have a feeling it might have been murder. Why? Was anybody with Dr. Tarleton when you left this afternoon? Yes, a man by the name of Macabre. Who? Mr. Macabre. I don't know his first name or anything about him, but the police are investigating him right now. And there wasn't anybody else this afternoon? Not that I know of. Are you sure? Didn't Dr. Tarleton have an appointment with a man who was interested in some sort of brain experiment? What's that? An elderly gentleman, tall, with gray hair and a long, thin face. Why, Miss Denning, that was Mr. Macabre. <laughs> Where have you been, Grace? Oh, just out for a walk. Now, don't lie to me. Where have you been? Over to Dr. Tarleton's office. Yes. Yeah, well, what for? I told you not to meddle in my business. Tarleton's dead, and my bargain with him is automatically canceled. Is that the agreement you made with him, Father? My agreement with Dr. Tarleton doesn't matter anymore. It doesn't to me, Father. But it might to the police, if they find a copy of that agreement. What are you driving at? Don't you think they'll find out Tarleton's death wasn't an accident? Good heavens, Grace, you don't think I killed him, do you? You don't think I murdered a man for the sake of a few hundred dollars? What did you do? You were in his office at five o'clock this afternoon, weren't you? Uh, who told you that? What difference does it make? Miss Henry knows you were there. She told me all about it. I didn't speak to Miss Henry. Mr. McCobb did. Oh, for heaven's sakes, Father, don't you think the police will see through a trick like that? They're out looking for you right now. Well, confounded, Grace. I didn't kill Dr. Tarleton. And I never heard of Mr. McCobb. Now, let's not talk about him. All right, Father. You want to bluff it through? I can't stop you. Only I wish that you... Just a minute. I'll, I'll get that. No, no, let me. It, it, it may be the police. Hello? Hello, Miss Denning? Yes? I've got to see you right away. I have something to tell you about the murder of Dr. Tarleton. What do you mean? I can't talk to you over the phone, but if you'll come down to 54 Palmer Street right away, I'll, uh, I'll tell you all about it. But, come but... alone, Miss Denning. And come quickly. Just a moment. You haven't told me who you are. Oh, I'm sorry. The name is Mr. McCobb. Yes, what do you want? Why, I'm, I'm Miss Denning. Weren't you expecting me? I never expect anybody around here, especially at this time of night. What did you ring the bell for? Well, I... I was supposed to meet somebody here. Are I... you sure you got the right address? This is the University Medical School. The autopsy lab. 
We're closed up for the night. That's strange. I was sure he said 54 Palmer Street. Who was this? One of the students? No, um, a friend of mine. Well, it's a funny place to be meeting a friend of yours, but if he said he'd be here, well, maybe you better come in. Well, I... Come on, I don't mind you waiting on the inside. Sure. I'm always glad to have a little company around. A place like this kind of gets under your skin. What do you mean? Ain't you never been to a medical school before? No, I... Well, there ain't nothing to be afraid of, lady, but it's just like being in a morgue with them dead ones around, especially tonight. Why tonight? Didn't you read in the papers what happened? Didn't you see where that doctor got killed under mysterious circumstances? Dr. Tarleton? Yeah, that's the one. You... You knew Dr. Tarleton? Oh, sure I knew him. He used to teach down here. Anatomy. Oh, I didn't know that. Maybe that's why I was told to come here. Because of Dr. Tarleton? You know something about his death? No. But the man I'm supposed to meet here does. Have you ever heard of a Mr. McCobb? McCobb? Are you waiting for Mr. McCobb? Yes. Do you know him? Who sent you here? He did. He called me up on the phone and told me he wanted to speak to me about Dr. Tarleton's death. Mr. McCobb said that? Yes. You better come with me, lady. But what's wrong? I didn't say there was anything wrong. I just want you to come with me. I gotta know if you're telling me the truth. Where are you taking me? Don't worry. It ain't far. Right in here. Come on. Stop pulling me, will you? Where are we? Where do you think? In the lab. But why did you bring me here? Didn't you say you had to see Mr. McCobb? Yes, but... Well, this is where he is. Right in that canvas bag. (gasps) It's a body. Of course it's a body. And they give them all names. The students, I mean. Oh, no. This one is Mr. McCobb. That's what I want to know. Who put you up to this? Who told you to come over here and tell me he was alive? Nobody. Don't lie to me. Every one of them students know I'm scared of Mr. McCobb. They've been playing tricks on me ever since I got here. Let me go. Not until I make sure he's in that bag. What are you doing? Opening it up. No. Look. It's not Mr. McCobb. What? It's Dr. Tarleton. Well, now that you've had a few moments to let your hair down, let's get back to our story and make it stand up again. Hmm? Let's see now, where were we? Oh, yes. In that lovely little dissecting room where the university goes to meet the student body. As I remember it, Grace Denning went there, too, with a night watchman to see a man about a corpse. But the corpse didn't keep his appointment. At the last moment, Mr. McCobb got cold feet and left Dr. Tarleton holding the bag. Are you sure it's Dr. Tarleton? Can't you see it is? I'm going to call the police. Now, wait a minute. You're not going to call anybody till you tell me why you came here. I told you. You I told me a lie. You knew Dr. Tarleton was in this bag. You brought him here. Don't be a fool. Well, then who did? Who put you up to this? 
One of them students? No. They must have, or you wouldn't have told me that story about Mr. Macabre. Where is he? What have they done with him? Nothing. I... Please, I didn't have anything to do with it. You mean... You're not playing a trick on me? Of course not. And it's true. It was Mr. Macabre. What? He's the one who killed Dr. Parton. He's the one who put him in that bag. What are you talking about? You're insane. Insane, am I? You don't know about Mr. Macabre. You don't know where he came from. What do you mean? His body, Miss Denning. They brought it from the state penitentiary. He was a murderer. Stop it! Stop it! No, I can't stop it. Don't you understand? We've got to find him and bring him back before it happens again. Right. Right, there's the phone. Hello? Hello. Is Miss Denning there, please? I... Just a minute. It's for you, Miss Denning. That call? Yes, here, answer it. Oh. Hello? Hello, Miss Denning? Yes? Tell your father not to worry about the murder. Dr. Tarleton was killed by a woman. A woman who lives at Nine River Road. How do you know? Who is this? Don't you recognize my voice? I'm Mr. McCobb. That's the house, Father. Nine River Road. Grace, you're, you're not going in there. I've got to, Father. I've got to know who this woman is. Well, then, then I'm going with you. No, no. Please. You stay here. It may be some sort of a trap to find out where you are. I, I'm better off alone. Well, careful, Grace. Please be careful. If this woman is a murderess... Don't worry, Father. Just stay in the car and I'll, I'll call you if I need you. Well, all right, dear. I'll, I'll be right here. Come in, Miss Denning. Miss Henry. Yes, Dr. Carlton's nurse. Good heavens. How did you know I was at the door? I saw your car drive up. Come in, won't you? Well, I... Quick, Miss Denning, come in. I've got to talk to you. What's the matter? Shh. I'll tell you in a minute. Just let me close the door. There. That's better. Now I can speak freely. You act as though you were expecting me, Miss Henry. I was. Strange. Nobody knew I was coming. Oh, but you're wrong. I had a message saying you were. A mess... From whom? Well, he wouldn't give me his name over the phone, but I had a feeling it was Mr. McCobb. Remember? He's the man I told you about at the office, the one the police are looking for. He called you on the phone? About ten minutes ago. What did he say? Well, he didn't want to talk very much, but he said you were coming over to see me about Dr. Tarleton's death. He said you suspected me of committing the murder. What do you mean? Do you, Miss Denning? Why, no. I have no reason to suspect you. What made you think I did? Just the fact that he said so. And the way you're looking at me right now. How did you find out about the letter opener, Miss Denning? What letter opener? The one that's missing from Dr. Tarleton's desk. Who told you about it? I... Nobody, I... I didn't know it was missing until you just mentioned it. Then why did you come here? Because Mr. McCobb... Don't blame it on him. He never saw that letter opener. Well, neither did I. I, I don't, don't even understand what connection it has. Don't with what... you, Miss Denning? Why would a letter opener be taken from Dr. Tarleton's desk? 
unless it had been used to commit the murder. You mean Dr. Tarleton was stabbed to death? He might have been. The murderer could have stabbed him first and broken the instrument cabinet later to make it look like an accident. Only that isn't the way it happened. How do you know? I know because that letter opener isn't really missing. It's just been mislaid somewhere. And if I had a chance to search the office, I'd probably find it. Why don't you search the office now, Miss Henry? I will, if you'll come with me. All right. I'll come with you. All right. I felt rather peculiar about going down there alone, but if you're with me... Miss Denning, what's the matter? Behind you, look. At the back window. What? 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 I don't, don't see anything. It was there, I tell you. It was there a moment ago. What? A face peering in through the window. It's macabre. That's funny. There doesn't seem to be anyone out back here. It must have been your imagination. No, I saw it. I tell you, there was something. We... What is it? thought I heard something move behind the garage. Quick, let's go in there. We can look through the back window without being seen. Careful now. We must make a sound. Here. Hold on to my arm. Can't see a thing, Miss Henry. <coughs> Who, who's there? Don't be afraid, Miss Denning. It's me. Who are, who are you? Mr. Crane, don't you remember? The night watchman from the medical school. What are you doing here? I'm looking for Mr. McCobb. He's around here somewhere. I just saw him. Where? Out in the field, behind the garage. I don't see anyone out here. You're not looking in the right place. Come with me. I'll show him to you. No, don't. Don't go with him, Miss Henry. Why not? It may take two of us to bring him back. He might not want to come with me. Please. Will you leave us alone, Mr. Crane? Go back to your job and let the police find Mr. McCobb. No, no, wait. He might know where Mr. McCobb really is. Of course I know. I just told you he was down there in the field. Then you go find him, Mr. Crane, and wait for me. I'll be there in a minute. All right, all right. But don't leave me out there alone with him too long. For heaven's sake, Miss Henry, don't you know that man's crazy? Crazy or not, I've got to know what he's up to. Here, take the key to Dr. Tarleton's office and go down there right away. Aren't you coming with me? Not until I find out about Mr. McCobb. Don't worry, Miss Denning, I'll meet you at the doctor's office in a few minutes. Are you sure you'll be all right? Of course, of course. Go ahead. All right. I'll... I'll see you later. Mr. McCobb! Mr. McCobb! Oh, Mr. Crane! Where are you? Why don't you answer me? Here. Who's on that path? Oh. No, don't! Don't! The letter opener. The same letter opener. And that's the first portion of Inner Sanctum Mysteries with No Rest for the Dead from 1952, starring Everett Sloan. And we'll get back to that in a couple of moments. I do want to remind our listeners that uh, the lovely Lisa Wolf here has a website. It's lisawolf.com. How did you get that? Did you have to fight anybody or it's take anyone the, to no, a walk? You know, it's money. All the money someone. that I can make here in Hollywood yeah. 360 Radio, I put it all into buying that. Uh, well, you are married to a lawyer, so, I mean, no, you know, you can all, use it's all me. intimidation tactics to get what you want by what saying, hey, no. my uh, my husband's a lawyer and I want that website, right. and if not, 
He's not too intimidating, though, is he, Carl? He's, he's a nice guy. All right. Uh, well, uh, let's, uh, let's take a break here on Hollywood 360. When we come back. It's more of Inner Sanctum Mysteries, so stick around. More Hollywood 360. Now back to the best in classic radio on Hollywood 360. Welcome back to Hollywood 360. I'm Carl Amari, my co-host, Lisa Wolf, And the man behind all of this is Mike Costella. He makes us sound good, makes the classic radio show sound great. He makes us sound good. He can't make us sound great, Lisa. Maybe you. But he does make the classic radio shows sound great. That's yeah. why they... He's, the, he's working hard. I see his head bobbing around back there. <laughs> he's, he's yes, doing. he's well. He's a busy guy. I mean, try calling him during the week. See if you get a call back. What do you call him? <laughs> I call him and call him and like Mike. Remember me? Yeah. But we do see him on the weekend, though. You call him a lot. I do. Yeah, I'm always like, Mike, I need this. Mike, I need that. Carl gets up too early for me to answer. Same here. I'm an he's early bird. Up at the crack of dawn. Yeah. And you know what? You know what yeah, they the, say. The early bird gets the worm. That too. You like worms? Yeah. You know, if you want to be somebody in this world, get up early, work hard, eat good food, work out. You know, a lot you of the could, stuff I don't you do. You could work hard and eat good food and work out and still not get up early. No, I like getting up early. Yeah. Just get, I like to get right in my day and just tackle what's going on. Yeah, tackle it at 11. Right? <laughs> All right. Well, let's get back to tackling Inner Sanctum. This is No Rest for the Dead from uh, August 24th, 1952, starring Everett Sloan. Here's the conclusion to Inner Sanctum Mysteries. Father? Aren't you in the car, Father? Where are you? It's all right, Grace. I, I'm here. Oh, where? Right here in the doorway. Why did you, you think I'd left you? I didn't know where you were. Why didn't you wait for me in the car? Oh, I don't know. I just got tired sitting there. Besides, I thought I heard some voices back in the house. Is anything wrong? No. At least I don't think so. I'll know better after we get to Dr. Tarleton's office. What are you going down there for? A letter opener, Father. I've got to find out if it's really missing. Oh, Grace, will you stop butting into other people's business? But this is our business. Don't you understand? Are you coming with me? Or shall I go alone? No, no, dear. I'll go with you. Wait right here, Father, just outside the door. Let me know if anybody comes down the hall, even Miss Henry. All right, but hurry. I'll be as quick as I can. Oh, I should have turned on the light before I closed that door. Now, where on earth is that light switch? Oh, what's the matter with this thing? Damn, it doesn't work. No. No, it doesn't, Grace. Who said that? I did. Don't you recognize my voice? No. Where are you? Over here, sitting at my desk. Dr. Tarleton. Yes. You're alive. No, my dear. I'm just living on borrowed time for a while. Just long enough to tell the police who murdered me. The trick. You're not really dead. No. You shouldn't have come back here to return that letter opener. That was the trap we set for you. Only we never dreamed you'd kill Miss Henry. A fool! Who are you? Dr. Carlton, dear. The man who was foolish enough to leave you half his estate because of your mother. 
You're a murderess, Miss Denning. Be quiet. Be quiet or I'll kill you. You can't kill me, Grace. You've done it already. Now do it again. I'll do it right this time, the way I killed Miss Henry. Here, put that letter opener down. No, let me go, Lydia. Grab her, Gus. I've got her hands. No, don't touch me. It's all right, Miss Denning. We won't frighten you anymore. We've got all the evidence we need now. You're a detective. You guessed it. The dead man. The one you had propped up in the chair. Who was that? Don't you know? That was Mr. McCobb. That was a corny stunt for Macabre to play. If I were a corpse, I wouldn't go around frightening confessions out of murderous young ladies. I'd rather be seen dead. And speaking of death scenes, have you ever heard the one about the ambitious ghoul who left no stone unturned? Tonight's Inner Sanctum Mystery was written by Robert Sloan and starred Barbara Weeks in the role of Grace. Everett Sloan played Crane. Music was by Lou White. This month's Inner Sanctum Mystery novel is You Could Die Laughing by Alan Green. The entire production of Inner Sanctum is under the direction of Hyman Brown. Well, friends, it's time once again to close that creaking door. Until next week at the same time. Until next week, then. Good night. Pleasant dreams. Be sure to join us at the same time next week for another Inner Sanctum Mystery. Brought to you transcribed by High Potency Ends, America's most popular, truly effective chlorophyll tablets. This is ABC, the American Broadcasting Company. That's Inner Sanctum Mysteries, August 24th, 1952, No Rest for the Dead, starring Everett Sloan, also in the cast, Leon Janney and Barbara Weeks. Paul McGrath was doing the hosting there, and Carl Caruso, a, a uh, fellow Carl, doing the announcing there on CBS. Hope you enjoyed that. And you know what I uh, want to go right into now, Lisa? I do. The great what? The, the, the great, I was going to say it, but you said the great, so you sort of spoon-fed this one. The great Gildersleeve. Uh, right, here you go. Here's a spoon. I'll give you a little. I, I was going to say it's from October 22nd, 1944. Some Cheerios here. See, I Spoon-feeding or some Cheerios. I, I can't even say it. Well, no, I got to talk about the show here I was going to help you out. No, I'm going to talk about the series. All right, go All on. All right, Throckmorton P. Gildersleeve, you know who he was? I sure do. He was a popular character appearing each week on Fibber McGee and Molly. Did you know that? Yes, I did. And on August 34, uh, uh, 34th, August I don't 34th. think there is any 34. On August 31st, 1941, Gildersleeve landed his own situation comedy show, making The Great Gildersleeve Radio's first spinoff. Did you know that? It was the first spinoff. I know it was yeah. a spinoff. I couldn't it have was told the you first which one it was. Radio's first, yeah. It's a good Gildersleeve one. moved from the town of Wistful Vista to Summerfield, where he served as the town's water commissioner, and took to raising his orphaned niece Marjorie and nephew Leroy. The household also had a cook named Bertie. The Great Gildersleeve was the first show to be centered on a single parent balancing raising children, work, and a social life. 
accomplished with great taste and genuine wit. Radio veteran Hal Perry originated the role of Gildersleeve, but left the series at the height of its popularity in 1950, giving way to Perry's sound-alike and well-known character actor Willard Waterman. Waterman continued in the radio role until 1957 and also played the great Gildersleeve in a TV version syndicated in 1955. And you know what, Lisa? What, Carl? Years and years ago, I went to a Friends of Old Time Radio convention, and they did a reenactment of the great Gildersleeve, and Willard Waterman was there, mm-hmm. along with Shirley Mitchell, who played Leela Ransom. And I had the honor of playing Leroy in that. Wow. And you want to talk about a lot of fun. I was up there and on a stage. I was the Walter Tetley Leroy character. Wow. And I was like, hey, Yunk, what's up, Unk? You know, like that. And I you got didn't even to, have to change your voice much. Yeah, huh? and I was right next to working the same microphone as Willard Waterman and... Uh, Shirley Mitchell. A lot of fun. All right, let's tune this in now. Let's go back to a broadcast date of October 22nd, 1944. It's called Important Phone Call. Here's Hal Perry as The Great Gildersleeve. Kraft presents The Great Gildersleeve. <laughs> yeah. Kraft Cheese Company, makers of parquet margarine and a complete line of famous quality food products, presents Harold Perry as the Great Gildersleeve. Kraft brings you the Great Gildersleeve every week at this time, written by John Whedon and Sam Moore, music by Claude Sweet. <laughs> now, let's join our friend, the Great Gildersleeve. It's a bright, snappy Saturday morning in October, the kind of a day that's supposed to make a man feel like working. And as Gildersleeve stands in his front parlor, smoking his after-breakfast cigar, he glances out of the window and... Sure enough, he sees a task. Leroy, I thought I told you to rake up those leaves. Didn't I? You didn't say when to rake them. I suppose you want to wait till they're covered with snow. The leaves must be raked now, Leroy, today. Today? Today is Saturday. Why can't I do them Monday afternoon, huh? First thing Monday afternoon. Because I want them done today. I don't see why they couldn't wait till Monday. Don't argue, my boy. You haven't a single thing to do all day today. It's my day off. Can't I wait till Monday? No. You started them Wednesday, but you didn't finish. You must learn to concentrate, my boy. Buckle down. Do a job right. Finish it up. Could you help me, Unc? Between us, we could finish it up in a hurry. Uh, I'm busy, Leroy. Oh, you're just sitting around. I am not sitting around. I'm worrying about finding some kind of work so I can support you and Marjorie. Wish all I had to do was worry. What did you say, Leroy? (laughs) Nothing. Well, get at those leaves and right now. Oh, before you start, did you clean up your room this morning? Oh, sure, I, I cleaned it. Will it bear inspection, Leroy? Well, gosh, if you're going to go over it with a magnifying glass... Never mind that. Did you make your bed? Now, how do you suppose I could have forgotten that? <laughs> Confound it, Leroy. I don't know what I'm going to do with you. I looked at your room yesterday, and it was a regular pigsty. How can you stand to live in it? I don't know. I'm just naturally sloppy, I guess. <laughs> oink, oink. And don't be so smart, young man, or I'll make you smart. In a certain place. Understand? Oh, oh, sure. Now go upstairs and do your room at once. So it can stand inspection. Okay. Fine way to spend Saturday. Leroy, have you done your practicing? Leroy. What did you say, young? Have you practiced your piano? Uh, Some. Some? I pay good money for those lessons, young man. You get over to that piano and start practicing right now. What about my room? Practice the piano. What about the leaves? Practice the piano. Sit down on that bench and don't get off of it for two hours. Gosh, I'll be working all day Sunday, too. 
I won't have any fun at all. What's Leroy beeping about now? Marjorie, have you done your room this morning? Oh, yes, Uncle Moore. Oh, good girl. Make your bed? Of course, I always do. Leroy, why can't you be more like your sister? Ah, she makes me sick. (laughs) Now, young man, we're all supposed to do our part around here. Excuse me, Mr. Gill, please. Have you made your bed, Bertie? Uh... (laughs) I mean, uh, what is it? Miss Marjorie, those curtains from your room has been sitting in my laundry tub for three days. I can't do my laundry till you get them out of there. Marjorie. <laughs> Miss Perfect. Leroy, practice the piano. Ha ha ha, Mr. Smarty Pants. And you go wash those curtains, young lady. Bye, George, we're going to have some new work habits around here. When we start something, we're going to finish it. We've got to learn to concentrate. I don't hear you counting, Leroy. I can't count and play at the same time, Unc. Well, try. Four and one and two and three and... That's wrong, Leroy. I told you I can't count and play at the same time. I bet nobody can. All the great pianists know how to count, Leroy. Well, they don't count so you can hear them. You remember when you took me to hear that guy and we sat in the front row? He never counted once. I was watching him. He doesn't have to count anymore, but he knows how. Now, stop arguing. Count yourself if you want to. Okay. Play it right, my boy. I'm trying to. That's the spirit. You're not trying, Leroy. I am, huh? Well, don't make the very same mistake every time. <laughs> This is a tough piece, and I'm just starting it besides. Oh, well, it's going to sound very nice when you've learned it. I wonder when that will be. (laughs) Well, that's the boy. (laughs) For goodness sake, Leroy, go back and play it right. Do I have to start at the beginning? No, 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 just go back a little way. (laughs) Okay. Leroy, you're not concentrating. Maybe I haven't got any talent, huh? You learn to play whether you got talent or not. <laughs> Trouble is, you don't practice enough. Now, when I'm... I'll see who it is, huh? No, you won't. You sit right where you are and keep practicing. Well, good morning, Gildy. Oh, for a good morning, Judge. Come on in. Well, Leroy practicing. Very pretty. Boy plays nicely. Yeah. <laughs> that shows how much you know, Judge. What's on your alleged mind? Not a thing, Gildy, not a thing. Can't an old friend just drop in without having something on his mind? He can, but he doesn't. (laughs) If you come over here again to pry into matters of my employment, Judge... Well, I haven't, but now that you bring it up... It may interest you to know that I'm considering a number of possibilities. Oh, you've been saying that for weeks. What about uh, Humpstone out there at the war plant? Did you get anywhere with him? Humpstone. He's nothing but a four-flusher. They're closing down the factory, Judge... I wasn't interested in that job anyway. I have another idea now. That's the trouble with you, Throckmorton. You never stick to anything. Dag nabbit, I don't believe you know how to concentrate. <laughs> Leroy! <laughs> concentrate. I mean, keep your mind on your work. I could go out now if you and the judge want to talk. You get right back to that piano. We'll go into my study. Come on, Horace. You're always opening a big mouth. Sit down, Judge. 
Have a cigar? Mm, not so soon after breakfast, thank you. Good. <laughs> you know, Horace, the more I think of it, the more I miss my old job at the waterworks. That wasn't a bad job. It's gone now. Water over the dam. Mayor Terwilliger should be indicted, appointing his own cousin as water commissioner. Let's not judge him hastily, Gildy. McCarthy may be a very good man. Not if he's a relative of the mayor. Any relation of Terwilliger's would be an incompetent in public office. Point is, Gildy, that he's in public office and you are not. Yeah. Oh, come in. Here's the mail just came, Mr. Gilsey. Quite a lot of it, but nothing very good. Oh, the mail. Thank you, Bertie. You're welcome. Now, Gildy, we've got to look this job situation in the face. Uh, pardon me, Horace, while I look this mail in the face. Doggone it, Gildy, there you go again. Can't you keep your mind on anything? Uh-oh. Here's a note from Nelson Humpstone, Judge. Huh? Uh, <laughs> listen to this. Dear Gildersleeve, I'm flying back to the home office of International Bolt and Screw for a couple of days on very short notice, and it looks like they're planning to convert to civilian production instead of closing down here. So don't make any commitments till you hear from me. I'll call you from Detroit as soon as I can. Nuff said, Nelson Humpstone. <laughs> well, I'll be darned. Fine fellow, that Humpstone. Nuff said. <laughs> Cute. <laughs> well, Gildy, I must say that sounds very promising, very hopeful. Oh, Humpstone's a big man, Judge. What did I tell you? He isn't talking about any two-for-nickel proposition. He might want an assistant manager or a sort of an associate manager. Maybe you'll want me to come in there to the home office, talk things over with the big shots. I don't know about that. What else would he be phoning me from Detroit? I ought to be ready to leave in a minute's notice. I wonder if I could get a plain priority. I think you're working a little fast, Gildy. That's the way to get things done, Judge. I suppose Humpy could take care of my hotel reservations. Oh, for goodness sake, you're talking just like uh, a... Come in! Uh, what is it, Bertie? Mr. Gilsley, the water stopped running and all the faucets in the house, nothing comes out. What? The water's off? <laughs> I'll bet the pump's busted, yeah, and the snifter valve. Must be off all over town. By George, I've been waiting for this moment. Let's call up the mayor's cousin and complain, Judge. What's his name now? Oh, now, Gildy, have a heart. His name's McCarthy. <laughs> Let me look at that telephone. I'll pin his ears back. I'll blast him. No. No, I know something better, Judge. I'll call him up at his house at 3 o'clock in the morning. <laughs> <laughs> Only a few minutes have passed, but Gildersleeve's household is as busy as a beehive. Anticipating an urgent call from Detroit, he's stationed Bertie near the phone to grab it, and he's assigned Marjorie to run upstairs and pack an overnight bag for him in case he has to leave town on short notice. The great man himself is in the living room, pacing up and down the rug, and turning over in his mind such important matters as plain priorities and what salary he should demand. And through it all, little Leroy, like the young Mozart, plugs doggedly away at his music. Leroy, read the notes. Read the notes. I am. You are not. Well, you can see for yourself. It says here. Don't tell me what it says. Play them. Ye gods. Oh, yes, Marjorie. How long have you been gone? How do I know? I haven't heard from Humpstone yet. I'm still waiting for the call. Well, how many shirts do you want me to pack? How many what? How many shirts will you need? Well, that depends on how long I'll be gone. That's what I say. How long will you be gone? I told you. I don't know. Well, how exactly don't ask foolish questions. Just pack some shirts. That's all. Ye gods, let's keep our heads around here. <laughs> oh, there's the phone, Bertie. Grab it. I got it. Mr. Gilsleeve's there. Uh, let me have it, Bertie. Yes, ma'am, he is. Just a second. Leroy, stop pounding that piano. How can I hear? Hello, Throckmorton P. Gildersleeve speaking. Uh, it was, what? Water. I'm not the water commissioner, lady. Don't bother me with it. 
The idea, calling me about it. Doesn't she read the newspapers? Hey, Uncle, can I stop now? I told you, Leroy, I want you to stick at that piece till you master it. I have. I said master, not massacre. <laughs> What's that? Razor? Oh, yes. Uh, Bertie, remind me to get some razor blades before I leave, will you? I'm all out. I will if I can remember. Leroy, maybe you better remind me. What's that? Remind Bertie, Leroy, to remind me to get some razor blades before I go. Ye gods, how can a man practice his music with people interrupting him all the time? I give up. I'm going out. Come back here, young man. Okay. Oh, Mr. Gilsey. Yes, I've got it, Bertie. Yeah, hold it, Leroy. Hello, Throckmorton Peekett. Yes, I'm the water commissioner. I mean, no, I'm not. What is this? Why are people calling me? I don't care if their line is busy. Don't call me about it. It's no business of mine. This is getting to be a darn nuisance. Here, I'm waiting for an important call. Honk. Yes? Make up your mind, will you? Do you want me to practice or don't you? Uh, just study the notes for a little while, Leroy. Uh, study him quietly and don't make any noise. Hello? Yes, this is Commissioner Gilsley's residence. If it's about the water, Bertie, tell him I'm not at home. And I'm not the commissioner. Mr. Gilsley says if it's about the water, he ain't commissioner and he ain't at home. <laughs> Wait a minute, Bertie. That wasn't long distance, was it? No, sir. That was Miss Pettibone. <sighs> well, what do I care? Any more of these calls come, Bertie. Tell him I'm not at home. You understand? Yes, sir. Tell him I left home two weeks ago and I haven't been seen since. Yes, sir. Tell him for all you know, Bertie, I'm dead. I'll do that. Good <laughs> uh, boy, George. This is too much. Let me handle it, Bertie. Hello. Now, listen, bud. I've got nothing to do with the water department. I don't care. If you don't like the way things are being run, call up the commissioner. Call up the mayor. Call up Eisenhower, but don't bother me. <laughs> Hello. No. Get off the line, will you, brother? I want to speak to the operator. Operator, this is Throckmorton P. Gillisleeve speaking. Never mind my number. I want to make a complaint. I'm expecting a very important call. I'm being flooded here with calls for the water department, with which I no longer have any connection. I want you to... Listen, sister, you don't have to tell me there's a war on. I want something done about it, and right away. Do you understand? Oh, you can't, eh? Oh, you can't. Well, I'll do something about it right now. Confound him. Mr. Gilsey, you busted. You darn right, I'll bust it. Oh, my goodness. How did you get arrested? Let him come. I'm ready for him. Mr. Evans, what's going on here? I've just pulled the phone out by the roots. <laughs> yes, and I'll do it again. They can fire me out of the water department. They can put an incompetent in my place. But I'll be go to Blazers if I'll take his phone calls. Let him ring me now. <laughs> go ahead and ring. But, Uncle Mort, what about Mr. Humpstone? If he tries to call you now... Humpstone? <laughs> oh, why didn't somebody stop me? Why did you deliberately stand there, Marjorie, and let... Oh, my goodness, I've got to do something. Humpstone might be trying to call me right now, all the way from Detroit. I'll run over to Mrs. Ransom's and phone the call company. I mean, call the company. That's the first portion of The Great Gildersleeve, October 22nd, 1944, with Important Phone Call, starring Hal Perry. Let's take a break, then it's more here on Hollywood 360. More Hollywood 360 after these important messages. And now back to Hollywood 360 with Carl Amari. Well, Lisa, in our next hour, we're going to conclude The Great Gildersleeve, and then what are we doing? 
uh, we're going to hear a detective mm-hmm. called uh, Jeff Regan, investigator from November 13th, 1948. And you know who played Jeff Regan? I do. Uh, Jack Webb, I think. Very good, Ooh, Lisa. Carl. Great job. All right, stick around, folks. Lisa and I and Mike Costello will be right back.